Welcome in Tom Luganville of ESPN. I'm Jim Dunaway from the next round as we get going. Welcome back to the um, capital of uh, college football playoff races, the state of Alabama. Look who's back, Tom. (laughs) The tide's back in the conversation after a big win over LSU. We'll get to everything going on in the country, but let's start right in T-Town with Alabama beating LSU and doing it with great second-half defense and what turned out to be the better quarterback on the field, Jalen Milrow, at least matched what Jaden Daniels was doing. And I don't think a lot of people at one point this season thought Milrow could do that. I, I always go back to our show right after our crew had Alabama and Arkansas. And if you remember what I told you, I'm like, Somehow, some way, these guys are going to slide right into this playoff conversation. There's just something goofy about it. And each week, it's gotten better and better and better. We see more and more improvement. And I texted three of you guys during the game. I'm like, dang, quarterback run, man, for like for, for both teams. It just goes to show you like what strain that puts on a defense and how far can you be strained and then still be able to get off the field a couple of times. And so I thought it was a fantastic game. I thought it was a great weekend of games. But uh, for Alabama and LSU to have two games, two years back-to-back like that, um, just epic college college football at its best. Uh, Always Monday Morning Live brought to you by our friends at MyBookie, mybookie.ag. Right now you get a 50% deposit bonus when you use the promo code next round. That is next round at mybookie.ag, a 50% deposit bonus right now. Go check that out at mybookie.ag. So Alabama wins it 42-28. to Jalen Milrow was really good, but I thought the story in this game was Alabama's defense in the second half. And they did this to Tennessee, and they did this for a while against Texas, but it was the fourth quarter against Texas where they had a couple of blown assignments that cost them their only game of the year. What do you make first of what Alabama's defense was able to do even before the Dallas Turner hit? And we'll talk about the Turner hit in a second. (laughs) Yeah, the most important 15-yard penalty in the game. Yes. Um, (laughs) And it was well worth it, I guess. Listen, I thought early on, and I bet Coach Saban and Coach Steele and T-Rob and those guys would agree that in the first and second quarter, they did a really poor job with their run fits and their gap responsibilities and their rush lanes in the sense that when you're playing a guy like Jaden Daniels, it's so critical that as a pass rusher, particularly on the edge, you cannot rush past the level of the quarterback. If you rush past the level of the quarterback and one of your inside guys takes an inside turn on one of the gaps, you've now opened the front door between the guard and the tackle. We saw that happen a bunch in the first and second quarter. I think really this wasn't so much scheme adjustment. It was getting back to the fundamental principles of proper pass rush lanes, proper techniques and how to hold the point of attack. Make sure you don't rush past the level of the quarterback. Keep him in a position where he doesn't have that wide open gap to take off, particularly down the middle of your defense because – you know, Alabama does like to place the man-to-man defense. He gets turned loose. Next thing you know, all the defenders' backs are to the quarterback, and it takes quite a while to react. I just think they became much more disciplined within their defensive front seven, and that was the difference really in the second half. Not so much a, a change in scheme. Now let's talk about the hit, because in real time, it's a violent hit, uh, a hit that used to be uh, very much a part of college football and the NFL. 
Um, had no problem at all with the 15-yard penalty of uh, him driving him into the ground. Uh, that, that would have been a penalty even 20 years ago in football. Yeah. The question becomes targeting or not. And regardless if it's targeting, Jaden Daniels is still out of the game. But did you think that rose to the level of targeting? Watching it in real time and then on replay, I did. But it was not called on the field, so I could see it being sort of a bang-bang call they let stand. How did you see it? I saw it like if I was watching any other game with any other crew, 50% of the time it would have been called targeting, and 50% of the time it would not have been called targeting. Yeah, that's the issue with the call. It is so subjective. And the thing that's frustrating sometimes with that call is you have very definitive indicators that you have to look for crouching launching leading to the head or neck if you have any of those indicators then it goes to did did they use the crown of the helmet so remember that that's here that's not here or here and i think that's where they probably got away with saying that it wasn't targeting along this point right here right across bar of the face mask it, it's that's a tough gray area from the crown of the helmet. Did they have an indicator? Yes. I think there was a clear launch. Um, I, I thought there were things that looked like it could be targeting, but at the end of the day, once you determine the indicators there, was the crown of the helmet involved? And I can see why they didn't call it. But again, that's the frustration of this particularly particular penalty. It happens quickly. They do when they replay it, Jim, not only do they look at it in slow motion, because, of course, you have to. You want to see a variety of different angles. But they really focus more on the real speed um, so that they can get a sense of what the officials saw in real time right in front of their eyes. So not an easy call. I would have loved I think mean, this is another reason why we got to pull the curtain back, Jim. we got to, we got to start instituting live on-air talkback between the on-field official and the review booth people. We need to start – revealing the screens and what they're seeing and what they're talking about. Because when you get that as a fan, you're going to come away not only much more educated, but you're not going to come away as angry. You're not going to come away as frustrated because it will have been detailed and lined out for you as to why or why not the call was made. And I think this is what we got to get to with officiating sooner or later. And just to clear it up for some fans, because uh, non-Alabama fans who are in my timelines, like they didn't even stop and look at it to see if it was targeting. Well, the entire time he's down on the field, I don't think people understand that every play is being reviewed and they don't always have to stop the game. And just because you don't see the white hat go under and over to that little screen and start looking and talking on a headset doesn't mean that it's not being reviewed in the, in, in the stadium and also in Birmingham in the command center, right? Exactly. And now the, the beef and the complaint to some degree with this is there are some that look painfully obvious that they should have been buzzed down and stopped the call. Right. And they don't. So what does it do? It forces the coach to call a timeout. And that's what they want to try to avoid here. We should never be in a position where you're forcing a coach. If something has a ton of gray area and everybody and their brother can see it, there's nothing wrong with taking a little extra time and looking at it. But the moment that play blew dead, I guarantee you, they probably looked at it five times maybe eight times before Jaden Daniels ever got off the field. 
Yeah. And if and whatever they determined at that point did not um, warrant them buzzing down and further looking at the call. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a long delay while he was on the field anyway. They were reviewing yeah. it that entire time. Alabama wins the game. Um, the, the offense was clicking with or without that defensive play from Dallas Turner there. Sure. Uh, 65% of the passes – completed by Jalen Milrow. I want to talk to you about how he's improved since the first time you saw him to what he looked like the other night. After I tell you about our friends at Guttercap, see Stu and his crew, the leaves are falling now. Everything is kicked in right now. And I want to remind you that right now, see Stu will help you with a great discount. Here's what he'll do for you. If you call him up today, or if you go to guttercap guttercapbirmingham.com, you will get 45% off retail price. That's 45% off retail price. Guttercapbirmingham.com. Call our friend C. Stu, 205-823-2212. 823-2212 or guttercapbirmingham.com a patented aluminum aluminum cover system that fits over most existing gutters that's what gutter cap is it keeps the debris and eliminates gutter cleaning and it's backed with a lifetime warranty it's our friends at guttercapbirmingham.com guttercapbirmingham.com thomas in early he says roll tide from wisconsin what a great effort by alabama <laughs> not to give up and play a great game in that contest uh, a lot of other people jumping in with comments on what we're talking about. We'll get back into that uh, in, in a moment with your comments in our chat room. You can jump in. But Jalen Milrow, you saw him earlier. Uh, you saw him yeah. benched in the South Florida game after the loss to Texas and how he's come back now completing 65% of his passes, 219 yards passing, 374 total yards, and no turnovers in this game. What have you seen yeah. from Jalen Milrow, and what did he do in this game that made this his best game to date? I've seen a player that I felt was trying to fit into a certain mold, all right, instead of just being what he is. And that's an athletic, instinctive player that is more than capable of breaking a game wide open. We know what he is as a deep ball passer. I think as the season has progressed and what I saw on Saturday night versus, let's just say, the last three to four weeks, not even going all the way back, was I saw a player that was playing free. He was playing inspired, instinctive football, and he made, as a result, he made much better decisions. Did you notice that his ability to get out of the pocket even if he held on to the ball, he didn't work himself into dangerous positions. You know, he'd been working himself into sacks, into pressures. He was as much to blame, I think, for a lot of the offensive line issues as the offensive line was for several weeks there. I thought when he got outside of the pocket, some of the things that he saw where it looked like he was just waiting in the last second, he's going to make a throw, and then all of a sudden he takes off and he and he runs and he gets a, and he gets a big play with his legs. He looks like he's not playing – like a player that's trying to be something that everybody else is clamoring for. And whether that's a Tua, whether that's a Jalen, listen, I mean, it's it's like you never want to be the guy that follows the legend, right? You, right. you want to be the guy that follows that guy. Well, that's not the case with, with Jalen Miller. This is the situation that he's in. He's a sophomore, redshirt sophomore, and the more he's played, the better he's got. That's a natural progression you would assume would happen with more and more experience. So I just got a sense that there was there was um, 
almost a bit of a street ball. Let's go throw it out in the lot and, and play a pickup game on Thanksgiving morning um, type of feel to him. He looked happy. He looked energetic. And he allowed his instincts to take over instead of trying to – he always kind of looked regimented to me. And I think he looks less regimented to me now. Uh, he looked like a guy who did not want to be a running quarterback um, earlier sure. in the year. And the other night, he looked like a guy who wanted to be the best athlete on the field. And yeah. he was. And he was. He was. Yeah. Yeah. And it was it was encouraging to see because now you're accepting what you are. This is what you are, man. So why don't you use it to the best of your abilities? And I think Tommy Reese and, and Coach Saban and that offensive staff, I, they deserve a lot of credit. And they, there was some innovation in that thing. There was some design quarterback run, which we've talked about all year long and the strain and the stress that that puts on a defense. Um, I, 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 I thought his play opened up the run game for the running backs. Did you notice how his play all of a sudden, nobody's talking about the offensive line? And I think that, that to me, too, was uh, an impressive aside right there in terms of the growth of, of the offense. But maybe the most important thing about Jalen Milrow on this offense on Saturday is every time they had to answer – they did. Yep. And it came down to if somebody gets ahead and we get on defense and we get a stop and nobody could do it until late in that football game. And Alabama happened to be the team that could do it. And at the same time, it just happened to coincide with the penalty on Dallas Turner and Jaden Daniels exiting the game. Landmine believer in our chat room. Last 26 minutes of the game, LSU didn't score. Daniels played in 16 minutes of those. That's a whole quarter of football with Daniels that LSU didn't score in the contest. John writes in, mm-hmm. Alabama's given up a grand total of 13 points in the second half against LSU, Ole Miss, Tennessee, and Texas A&M. That is phenomenal there. Our buddy yeah. T-Rob uh, who uh, T, T, T Bob, I should say, from uh, down in Baton Rouge, T Bob Abear was on the show on Friday talking about the end of, yeah. of the Roman Empire that is Alabama football. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about Alabama's place in this playoff conversation coming up at the end of the show, but let's jump into other things that went on around the country, and that included the uh, reigning back to back national champions, Georgia, being challenged by Missouri. 27-21 before Brady Cook threw the first of two interceptions at the end, and Missouri was going toe-to-toe with Georgia there. Your takeaway from Georgia, I'll use the word surviving, 30-21 to uh, in that win over Missouri. Very simple. Missouri made mistakes late. Georgia didn't. I mean, it, the road team went on the road, went toe-to-toe, played well, looked like they belonged. Um, Michigan was Michigan. Georgia was not flashy. Um, it was hard. It was well earned. But at the end of the day, in a close game, execution matters. And when you are in a tight game like that, you've heard me say this a hundred times. It's not necessarily the plays you make; it's the mistakes that you don't. And I think when that when that occurs, and you are the better team athletically on the field, then you put yourself in a, in a position to win at the end. Uh, Carson Beck and Ladd McConkey continues to be a great duo. Brock Bowers will be back at some point, but Georgia gets Ole Miss now, who uh, survived Texas A&M 38-35. Big game for Trey Harris in that one. Does Lane's team have anything um, in Athens for this Georgia team? Or is Georgia getting more um, more 
playoff ready by the tougher part of their schedule here? Well, I think they're getting more playoff ready, but I also think they're a team that when somebody is perceived to be a challenge for them, they crank it up. Remember remember the, the, the Kentucky-Florida game? And Kentucky goes into Georgia, and Georgia just thrashes them. Then all of a sudden, you're playing down in Jacksonville, and surprisingly, Florida is 5-2. and two. Yeah. All right, so they're supposed to be a challenge for us? Nope. All right, now Missouri comes to town. 12th-ranked team in the country. Good football team. Georgia takes care of business. I don't think Georgia is daunted by Ole Miss or anybody else for that matter. I think it actually helps them. I think they play better when they when they feel like their backs are against the wall. Maybe they feel like they're being doubted a little bit. Now, I could see this game playing out in very similar fashion to how Missouri and Georgia played out because Missouri and Ole Miss are an explosive team on offense. The the whole key, and I've said this to you guys all all year long with with Ole Miss. The key to the success for them is pace of play. If you win defensively on first down against Ole Miss, you take them out of their comfort zone. And I think if they get ahead of the chains and they get that first first down, and the next thing you know it's 100 miles an hour, then you're going to be on your heels on defense. And it's tough. It is tough to keep pace. Um so I, I think it's going to be a great football game. It's an opportunity for Lane Kiffin and his football team to prove that they belong. It's another opportunity for Georgia to, you know, shut down the doubters. And as we head down the stretch here and we've seen Michigan and we've seen Ohio State and Florida State and obviously what happened to Oklahoma this past weekend, Texas narrowly surviving. I mean, they could not to get off schedule here, Jim, but I mean, essentially the Big 12 was within one play of disappearing from the college football playoff race on Saturday. One play. That's right. And so, um, and again, it's not going to get easier. It's going to get tougher for everybody. Yeah. Speaking of the other teams in the playoff race around the country, let's start at the top in Ohio State. Again, this is Monday Morning Live. He's Tom Luganbill of ESPN. And we're brought to you by our friends at MyBookie, mybookie.ag. Promo code next round gets you a 50% deposit bonus just use the promo code next round at mybookie.ag ohio state becomes the first college football playoff team ranked number one to trail at the half to an unranked team now they survive they come back and win it 35 16 looks better on the scoreboard uh, than it actually really was on the road so that factors into it but kyle mccord for long stretches of a game does not look like he's playing winning football. He gets bailed out by Travion Henderson and Marvin Harrison Jr. again this week. Yeah. But they've got a little bit of a, a quarterback problem, I believe, or an offensive problem if they get into a game with maybe Michigan down the road or a Georgia or an Alabama or Florida State or basically a playoff-like game. I don't know if they can stand up from the quarterback position. It's funny. They look now at quarterback and on offense very similar to how Alabama looked in the first three weeks. Um, at times, can look really good and look really sharp and be flowing and getting rhythm. And at other times, uh, they'll go two and three series in a row and just sputter um, and just struggle. Now, you can't take away the fact that they do have Travion Henderson. They do have Marvin Harrison. And the opponents do not. And yep. so, you know, it, has it been pretty? No. I think the, the committee put basically all their chips to the center of the table and said that Notre Dame win, all right, and the Penn State win trumps everything else. As of right now, we don't care what anybody else is doing. We don't care how anybody else is playing. We care about those two games because of how the schedule has played itself out. 
I think that narrative is going to start to change. Even if Ohio State remains unbeaten, even if Ohio State um, goes into the Michigan game unbeaten, I think the narrative will change a little bit with how they are playing, especially when you have a team, and I know they've already got a loss, but like, if you looked at Oregon right now and Ohio State right now, who would you say is the number one team in the country? Uh, Oregon, by, by a margin, by a gap. Yeah, uh, me too. And so I think those those perceptions will start to come into play. They're just not there just yet. But, yeah, I, I, I'm impressed at times with Ohio State. I am impressed with their resiliency. I am impressed with their mental toughness in the same way that I am with, with Alabama's football team. That's They are a resilient bunch that's used to criticism. Ohio State's team doesn't seem to let it bother them. They kind of feel like it's going to be part of the game at some point. It's almost like they expect to have to crawl out of a hole at some point, and they do, and they do deserve credit for that. Uh, I think Ohio State's a multiple-loss team already if they're playing in the Pac-12 where Oregon is right now. Uh, Before we get uh, too far away from your game, Bedlam, and the Texas situation, let's jump into that. Uh, Let's go Texas first. Uh, because they were in control of that game, and then Kansas State does what um, oftentimes a Kansas State uh, coach uh, team coach under Coach Kleiman uh, end up yeah. ends up doing. They make it close and they play good football down the stretch. Texas ends up going to overtime in this one. I don't understand the play calling when you get first and goal at the four and you don't do one traditional run with your running back. And if you're going right. to run the quarterback, it's Will Howard and not Avery jo- Johnson. Um, if he had to do that sequence of play calling over, I think Chris Kleiman would probably do it different. Do you disagree or agree with me? I think they probably would. Maybe they wouldn't use Avery Johnson in the game at that point, being that he's a true freshman, and, and, and maybe they feel like, okay, let's not put that kid in that position right now. Let's go with the experienced veteran that's won us a conference championship. That part I get. But the play selection, I, I can totally understand where you're coming from there, and it, and it was a bit frustrating, and you know, I um, I actually our, our crew uh, has Texas and TCU on ABC primetime on on Saturday night. Heck, we're about we're we're becoming the official crew of Texas Longhorns football. <laughs> uh, apparently, this is our our third game. Uh, um, big big game for them with, this week, yeah. Huge game, and and here's the thing. And I said this to you last week. I was very concerned about Texas being able to beat Kansas State with with Malik Murphy. He made a couple of plays, but then he made a couple of boneheaded plays and. Now you got to go on the road. It's going to be nighttime. And, Jim, the pressure, can you imagine the weight on the shoulders after what happened in Bedlam, the weight on the shoulders of this Texas program right now? It's all on them. The entire, They're exiting the Big 12, and right now the entire Big 12's fortune is on their shoulders. All right, they've got to go to TCU. They've got to go to Iowa State, all right, they think they're going to get Quinn Ewers back when we don't know, but this is an enormous amount of stretch on Sark and his group. Two interceptions and a fumble to go with his 248 passing from Malik, Malik Murphy. And they did build a, a lead, uh, helped out by Adani Mitchell, uh, the Georgia yeah. transfer. Worthy and Sanders had good, day, good days for the Horns. But they win it 33-30, to 30, and they've got that win over Alabama, which we'll talk about at the end on how that plays into the playoff conversation for the Tide and for the Longhorns. You were at Bedlam, the last one we know of for at least right now, and little yeah. brother kicks big brother in the pants on the way out the door. 
And uh, according to reports, they were playing, we're never, ever, ever getting back together again, Taylor Swift, uh, on the loudspeaker after the contest here. Oklahoma State won it. You're there. They rushed the field. I would imagine it was a great day to be a Cowboy. It was, it was, to be honest with you, and I say this as somebody who's loved college football, who was born in a college football locker room, um, what an honor to be a part of something that had been played for 114 years. And it's such a shame that we're not going to see it, at least in the immediate future going forward. But that it was an electrifying atmosphere. Um, not, it was so loud, and it was so intense. And how Oklahoma State has gotten to this point is, is simply remarkable. I mean, the story of this team, the offseason, tumultuous, negative, uh, ridden with transfer portal exits. You, go, you, you don't know who your quarterback's going to be. The first three weeks of the season, your running back, who's a Heisman Trophy contender now, has 19 combined rushes. Um, and next thing you know, you're on this run and you're one of the hottest teams in college football and certainly the hottest team probably in the Big 12. And you catch Oklahoma coming off a loss on the road in Kansas. It was the perfect storm and it was a, it was a fantastic football game. I, I wish, I wish that the pass interference call that was not called on Oklahoma State against Drake Stoops. Uh, at the end on that last drive for for Texas, I wish that would have been called. Not because I'm looking for Oklahoma to win the game, but I, that play is now going to linger, right? That play is going to be a what-if type of play. And I don't think they necessarily lost the game because of that play. On the final drive for Oklahoma State, Oklahoma had 35 yards in penalties. So there was a variety of things that, that uh, took place. But, man, what a what a great atmosphere and a great way to end it. Yeah, three turnovers by Oklahoma in that game will haunt them until they decide to play it again. And I do think they'll play it again someday in the future. Um, You know, as they come to the SEC, Oklahoma, I'd be okay with them playing that game at the end of the year like we do Georgia, Georgia Tech and Florida, Florida State. Or, sure. or I'd be good opening up the season with it. I don't know how Oklahoma feels about it. We'll give them a chance to get in the SEC and decide about the future. Uh, but right now, Oklahoma State, who only won 20 times in that uh, 100 and, what is it, 17 meetings? 117 meetings? It's, it's so rare, too, Jim, because you know Mike Gundy has been a part of 33 of those Yep, as a player assistant coach and head coach. But it's one of the few rare, very, very bitter rivalries where your job doesn't depend on whether you win it or not. Like, Mike Gundy's won very few of those. Yeah, that was his fourth. And he's 4-15 and 15 as a head yeah. coach. I mean, it's, 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 that doesn't generally happen with a rivalry like that. You don't beat your rival yeah. and make it consistent. You're gonna, they're going to let you go at some point. Yeah, Auburn coaches, Alabama coaches, Ohio State and Michigan coaches don't get to be 4-15 yeah. and 15 in the rivalry nope. game. Yeah, great great point there. All right, quick break here, then we'll get to Auburn as they approach bowl eligibility, the craziness in the Pac-12, including a big day from Bo Nix, Michigan being Michigan, and the playoff conversation, all that still to come. Uh, the show being brought to you by two great sponsors, one of them our friends Blakely's Bouquets. I was in contact with them yesterday because I was thinking about sending uh, T-Bob a, a funeral arrangement because he <laughs> he thought Alabama's dynasty was dead like the Roman Empire. 
Um, but I didn't because we didn't think we could get it there before 9 a.m. Central Time. So I'm going to try to think of something else to see. send T-Bob. But if you want to send flowers to any of your LSU friends today just to say, um, hey, Alabama's back, you can do that. Blakely'sBouquets.com. Blakely'sBouquets.com. You can call them up 205-579-4900. 205-579-4900. Or in person at the Full Service Flower Shop on Oxmore Road. It's Blakely's Bouquet. Blakely'sBouquets.com for all your flowers needs this holiday season also by our friends uh, right there at who is coffee who is coffee.com see everything they offer right now who is coffee.com and you can go to our store you can get coffee there uh, next round dot store next round dot store or you can get the hat that Luganville has on the hat that I have on all the hats that we have t-shirts and everything we have to offer it's all right there at next round dot store the next round store is and loaded check out the latest logo t-shirts and hoodies get your favorite team colors the next round flag shirt or grab the popular y'all can have the rest t-shirts go to nextround.store that's nextround.store start your day online at nextroundlive.com get all the latest videos podcasts and college football stories and it's also a great way to stream the show or shop in the next round store stay connected by visiting nextroundlive.com Want more of the show? Download the app or visit nextroundlive.com for the latest podcast. The Mystery Fifth Hour, our Not For All Ages podcast, The Last Call, and our entire Double Down Media podcast family. All at nextroundlive.com and on the Next Round app. Want more of the show? Download the app or visit nextroundlive.com for the latest podcast. The Mystery Fifth Hour, our Not For All Ages podcast like Bama and Bourbon, and the entire Double Down Media podcast family. All at nextroundlive.com and on the Next Round app. Hey, Lance Taylor from the Next Round to tell you about our friends at Gutter Cap. Gutter Cap's that patented aluminum cover system that fits over most existing gutters to keep out debris and eliminate that gutter cleaning. It's back with a lifetime warranty, almost 20 year service record right here in Birmingham. Stay off that dangerous ladder forever. 45% off the retail price now if you call guttercapbirmingham.com. Call my good friend Chris Stewart now, 205 823 2212. Cap it, don't snap it, it's Gutter Cap. The Next Round Golf Court is here. Your chance to play four area golf courses for just $89. Get 18 holes of golf and cart at Limestone Springs, Cross Creek, the Meadows, and the newly renovated Woodward Golf Club. That's a value of $247 for just $89. Or get the Next Round Deluxe Golf Cart for just $119. It gets you all four courses with cart, plus an exclusive Next Round Golf T-shirt, koozie, golf tees, and a sticker. There are no restrictions. The cart is good through September 2024. Get your golf cart now at nextround.store. Follow Next Round Live on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. The social media team at Next Round Live will share the latest interviews and videos from UAB, Alabama, Auburn, and campuses all over the college landscape. You'll also get the latest highlights and news from the Next Round Live daily show. Jim, Lance, and Ryan will share their thoughts. And remember, you can always see the old shows on the Next Round Live YouTube channel. Subscribe, like, and don't forget to comment. Turn on the notifications so you don't miss a thing. It's Next Round Live on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Football season is here, and Legacy Credit Card is just what you need to manage your spending safely and wisely. Credit cards offer better consumer protection against fraud when compared to a debit card, which is linked directly to your bank account. Legacy offers rates as low as 8.9% APR on credit cards compared to major card providers who advertise rates as high as 29% APR. Look no further than Legacy. Open a credit card online in minutes at LegacyCreditUnion.com slash join. APR's annual percentage rate rates and offers subject to change. See website for details. Federally insured by NCUA. 
love all your comments in the chat room. Uh, Michael commenting about our Emily Grace McWhorter, who's our reporter. She is uh, on game day at stadiums around the country. Says she's doing a great job. You can see her report from the Alabama locker room right now on our social media platforms. Uh, Jerry wants to know, Luke and Bill, as we bring you back in now, should the college football playoff committee value eye test or head-to-head wins on the resume more this year when it comes to the one-loss teams? He's talking about... Well, I assume Texas and Alabama, which could become a sticking point at the end of the year. If Alabama runs the table and wins the SEC, Texas doesn't lose again and wins the Big 12. And I know there's scenarios out there, but let's just say there's an unbeaten Big 10, an unbeaten Pac-12, and an unbeaten ACC, which is a scenario that is possible right now. Then what do you do in that situation? It I would assume the head-to-head, especially with Texas beating Alabama on the road, would out would outweigh Alabama being SEC champions. Hard to imagine, but they did play each other. They played each other. Texas won the game. If we're going to say that they are both conference champs, I can tell you right now the committee will do what's easiest and what would create them the least amount of scrutiny, and that would be to default no matter what. Because they would like both of the teams. It wouldn't be – here's the thing. It wouldn't be like this was last year with Alabama and TCU. See, I think the committee learned a lesson last year. I think they're going to be very careful going forward. And I'm not saying that Alabama necessarily deserved to be in the college football playoff. Dude, I think they were one of the top four teams. Yes. Okay. But then what the committee also learned was there's a difference – all right, there is a difference, and trust me, there is. I was at the Sugar Bowl, and I watched Alabama take on Kansas State, who beat TCU, who won the Big 12, and it was varsity versus JV. And I think the, the, the committee knows that deep down, but if you lay out the scenario you just laid out, they're always going to default to the easiest answer So because that way they don't have to take on any scrutiny, and, and they can just point to it. It's easy for them. Yeah, uh, and and they'll factor in for this time, you know, no Quinn Ewers. Um, it right. won't forgive them a, of a loss if it happens, but they will factor that in down the stretch. Hopefully it doesn't come to that, or maybe hopefully it does. If you're an Alabama fan, at least you're an SEC champion and you get into the conversation. Yeah. And we'll see what everyone else does, because I don't know if Washington can stay unbeaten. And we'll jump into that again. This is Monday Morning Live, brought to you by our friends at MyBookie, MyBookie.ag. And, of course, by our friends at Way to Wellness. If you want to jumpstart your weight loss, you can do that right now with our friends at Way to Wellness. Just go to this website, aplanforme.com, aplanforme.com. That gets you into contact with Leslie and her board-certified team. Uh, No contract, no sign-up fees, and your first consultation is free because you, you watch us here on Monday Morning Live. You'll find out that every plan's different. It can help you with your blood pressure and your cholesterol, and of course, with your weight loss. It's our friends at Way to Wellness. Way to Wellness, your journey to healthy living. Again, that website, aplanforme.com. Washington uh, gets an unbelievable football game, not just from their quarterback, Michael Penix Jr., but really from their running back, Dylan Johnson. 26 carries for 256. And, and this is why Alex Grinch was fired yesterday by USC. He got 199 yards 
before contact, and Washington beats USC 52-42. They're still unbeaten. Uh, two questions. One, do you think Washington can stay unbeaten this year, the way they're playing football right now? And then we'll get into Alex Grinch. Let's talk Washington first. Well, yes, I do think they can. Um, and a lot of that is because what in the world has happened to Washington State? Yeah. You know, uh, the, the Apple Cup now all of a sudden looks a little bit different. So has it been perfect for Washington? No. Have they had their defensive warts? Yes. You still had to go on the road and, and beat SC, and it wasn't easy, and it was toe-to-toe, and it was back and forth. And, you know, all of the – I mean – if it's not for Caleb Williams, Jim, I mean, that that is a no contest. That dude pulled a rabbit out of a hat like he seems to do every week over and over and over again. And, like, it's it's amazing how difficult it is for people just to overcome that one guy. As bad as they've been on defense, all right, as much as they've been a you know, average football team when it comes to running the football, that guy – changes everything and so i think that this would have been a no contest had he not been the quarterback at usc which further exacerbates the problems on defense washington's good enough i think to come out unscathed but if they play oregon again um i don't think there's any question who the better team is right now i feel like since that game was played oregon has done this and washington has done this yep and or at least they'd parallel and what started off looking so easy and effortless for Washington now starts to look a little bit more difficult. They got back on track more um, on Saturday night. Now, again, given who they're playing on defense, a lot of people get on track uh, against that group. So tell you what, man, Pac-12 title game is going to be much, much watch TV. Yeah, and, and on Alex Grinch, um, I don't think anyone's shocked that he's, he's out of a job today. I think people are shocked on two things. One, that it happens now. And two, that this is sort of Lincoln Riley's M.O. And so is it really Alex Grinch's fault or is this is this a Lincoln Riley problem when it comes to the defense? Because even even as bad as it looked at Oklahoma, I don't think it ever looked like this. Yeah, right. Um, It's certainly been a blind spot for him. I don't know why I have such tremendous amount of respect for him as a play caller and an offensive innovative guy. He's effortless in that regard. But it's almost like, all right, man, when's the light going to go on? You want to compete for a college football conference championship. You want to compete for a college football playoff berth and actually win a game. You don't have to be Alabama on defense, but you can't be Colorado. Like, you can't, you cannot be inept. You can't line up and void consecutive gaps in pre-snap. You can't allow 199 yards prior to contact from one player in one game. And there, there just has to, there has to be some type of concerted effort on behalf of leadership and Lincoln Riley to go out there and not only hire a proven winner, but start recruiting to it. Like start play. Listen, you can go get all the guys you want on offense at, at, at wide receiver and at running back. You better start recruiting offensive linemen, defensive linemen, tall corners, and guys that can rush the passer. And all of a sudden, if we have some competency on the defensive side from a coaching perspective, blended with players, 
Now we're having a different conversation about SC, but he, he for whatever reason, will not commit to doing that. And I, I think everybody's scratching their head over it, to be honest with you. Um, Michael asked a good question in our chat room. You know, the buzz has been Lincoln Riley possibly looking at the NFL. Um, does him making a move on the defensive coordinator uh, and obviously burning a bridge with a guy he has a lot of respect for and you would imagine his friends with having hired him, does this sort of indicate that Lincoln's staying in the college game, going to stay at USC if he's making a change on his staff? You've been on coaching staffs. So what do you think of that? No, I think I think it's one of those deals where it, it's, it's getting to a point now, because remember, there's not number 13 is not playing. He, he's not tenured, okay? So right. he's, he's going to be moving on. They're going to get younger and less experienced unless they go the transfer portal route. But if they go the transfer portal route again, guess what? They're going to really hurt their quarterback high school recruiting process. And I don't think deep down Lincoln Riley truly wants to do that. So I think this is clearly about a move that needed to be made, not to just improve the football team, but ultimately at the end of the day, he knows he has to get this right because there won't be anybody else to blame. It will be on him and him only. You touched on Oregon briefly, uh, but let's give them a little bit more time as they have become the beast in the West. Uh, Bo Nix, six touchdowns, four passing, two rushings. They demolished a Cal team that USC struggled with. He's coming off a six-touchdown performance, and oh, by the way, he gets that USC defense this weekend. What do you think of Bodacious right now? (laughs) Well, last week... I thought he did something that nobody does to Utah, right? And he did. And so did that offense. And so did that football team, particularly at Utah. Then you go and just absolutely dominate Cal in every facet. And to me, the if you ask, what am I thinking about Bo Nix? I'm thinking that his efficiency level when it comes to accuracy and decision-making is about as good as I have seen in a long, long time. He is not careless with the – this is a player, and Jim, you know this, and everybody listening and watching, uh, particularly in your state there in Alabama, who watched a player for three years that was remarkably gifted and was anything but accurate and consistent and efficient. He was erratic. He was inaccurate. He was up and down. And there could be a variety of reasons for that. And, and, and I know that there are. I think – Sometimes the right marriage between coach, program, atmosphere, culture can really aid in the development of a player. And I wouldn't discount the age of the player. I mean, the older these guys are getting, Sam Hartman, Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr., a lot of these guys have played so much football that it starts to click, right? A lot of these guys right now. So, for example, if this if we were under normal non-COVID scenarios, Bo Nix would be what, in his second year in the NFL? Yep. And probably not playing. And if he was playing, maybe there would be a struggle. So I think that is fair to point that out too. But he's just been so good with the football. And they dominated. What I said earlier about Washington is how they were making it look so easy and effortless. That's what Georgia's doing right now. And Georgia is a lot better. Excuse me, Georgia. Oregon is doing right now. Oregon is a lot better on the defensive side of the football right now than Washington is. As Zach says, Bo Nix has transcended from Bo Picks in his days at Auburn. His personnel around him uh, is a lot better at Oregon. So Oregon's in the playoff race. We'll get back to that in a second. The rest of college football 
included uh, Michigan, no problem with Purdue. They get the big game with Penn State this weekend in Happy Valley. We will get to uh, that. Clemson beat Notre Dame. Uh, big, big win for Dabo after Tyler from Spartanburg called. And then you had a couple of SEC wins. First, uh, Hugh Freeze has Auburn uh, one game away from bowl eligibility. They're 5-4, and 2-4 and four in the league on the road at Arkansas. Uh, just what what do you think of Hugh Freeze bowl eligibility with this roster? I think would be a successful season for Hugh down at Auburn. It absolutely would be. Um, listen, I, <laughs> I I I think that given the cards that they were dealt, particularly in offense, because I think you could make a fair, fair argument, a pretty well coached defensive football team, and they're actually a pretty good defensive team athletically too. But the adjustments made, particularly in the last couple of weeks, and if you if you notice back-to-back weeks, consistency with one player at quarterback and then the run game production actually coming from the running back. Right. Right? And I think that's a complete shift in deviation from what we saw early. And that's coaching, right? That's trying to get your best players in a position to succeed. Might have taken quite some time. It was a work in progress each and every week, I think. Several weeks ago, you and I were talking. I said, you know what? This just might be what we see from Auburn each and every week of trying to figure it out. And it may be different one week from the next. And now you have two straight weeks in a row. And understand, I get the opponent. I realize that. But it doesn't really matter because what this does, it gives you consistency. It gives you confidence. It gives this football team a belief that they are doing the right things. And maybe these coaches are dialed in on this stuff. And maybe we need to start buying in. And they were right about this. And let's go see what happens if we get better here. So, I I don't see any reason why this isn't a bowl team. I think they're going to coach themselves into being a bowl team. Arkansas this week could get them bowl eligibility, if not then in Fayetteville, then New Mexico State at home before Alabama at the end of the yeah. year at Jordan-Hare Stadium. Speaking of Arkansas, big win over Florida uh, for Sam Pittman. After firing Dan Enos, elevating Kenny Guyton, it helps that you get Rocket Sanders back. First win uh, ever at the Swamp as an SEC team for Arkansas since they joined the league in 1992. Good game coming up this weekend there for that one. Tennessee and Missouri play each other. Tennessee's not out of the race yet in the East because if uh, Georgia were to lose to Ole Miss, they get the dogs in Neyland the next week. Um, Tennessee handled UConn. Now they play Missouri. How do you come down if you're Missouri and get ready for that game with the Vols this week? Well, I'll tell you, this is going to test their maturity. It's going to test their leadership. Um, this is, you know, the dog days of the season, right? We're, we're down the stretch here. It gets harder and harder. You're more tired, tougher to maintain focus. You're coming off of a loss. Now you got to play a team that has the capability of scoring, and you could be in, in a track meet, which actually I think Mizzou relishes. I think they, they kind of like being – that's their mode of operation. So this could actually be a pretty decent opponent for them because it's their style of play. But, you know, again, this is the time of year where I, and I, this last week, it's always somebody, right? This last week it was Air Force. All right. Um, it was Oklahoma. It's, if you make mistakes, if you're tired, if you lack focus, the other team comes ready to play. Um, this is what makes the, the game so great. So I think this will be a good football game. I think it's a very evenly matched football game. I was a little surprised at Brady's, um, Cook's uh, turnovers, you know, he had been so good with the football. Yep. I think they're going to have to clean that up if they hope to win, uh, beat Tennessee. But I still like this football team to rebound. I think they've got enough upperclassmen to have some maturity and 
and come ready to play. All right, let's spend our last 10 minutes about t- talking about the uh, top of the college football playoff and the chase as we get ready for week 11 already, three more weekends before we get to the conference championship games. This is Monday Morning Live. It's brought to you by our friends at MyBookie, mybookie.ag. The promo code next round gets you that 50% off, a 50% deposit bonus. So basically you put in 100, you get $150 to play with there. So it works out. Um, that 50% deposit bonus is fantastic. You get it when you use the promo code next round for NFL games, college basketball cranking up tonight, and of course, another college weekend. All at mybookie.ag, mybookie.ag. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with mybookie.ag promo code next round. Um, first off, the thing that is concerning if you're a one loss team right now, the top five are all unbeaten, and it's the first time in the college football playoff era that you've had the top five be unbeaten this late in the year, which also sets up a scenario for you having, at the end of the year, the most one-loss teams you've ever had in the college football playoff era. So in the past, we've always said it works itself out, and there's still three to four weekends for it to work itself out. Mm-hmm. And But, but for, for the first time ever – Maybe it doesn't work itself out. Maybe we do have a logjam of of unbeaten's or one loss teams at the top. Um, right now, if I asked you five unbeaten teams, who's the who's the most precarious for you? The most likely to lose? And for those that are driving, you know, Michigan or Ohio State, or one of them is going to lose. Um, mm-hmm. I, I maybe maybe you think before they play each other. You've got Georgia, you've got Florida State, and you have Washington. Yeah. If we're including conference championship games, I would say, I would say Washington. Okay. Um, uh, if we're not, I would say Ohio state. Um, and I, and I say that because with Michigan, the, the reason now Michigan will have a challenge with Penn state. That's fine. But the reason why Michigan is where they are right now, well, <laughs> we could say that aside from recent events that have, uh, come into our news cycle. But if we just focus on their football team, they're more talented than every opponent they've played. They're one of the lowest penalized teams in the country, and they don't turn the ball over. It's really it's really that simple. It's one of the reasons they haven't been in, in close games. A lot of these other teams on the games that we've seen, you look at Alabama and Texas, all right? On that day, Alabama commits 10 penalties. Two of them negated touchdowns, right? All right, so now you have penalties and turnovers and took points off the board. Michigan hasn't been in games where they've done that. Will it happen to them? Maybe it will. Maybe they'll go out one day and have a, a five-turnover day against the wrong team. Um, but they're the better team athletically. So I would say it's Washington in the conference championship game, like I said, Ohio State during um, the regular season. With the way that the ACC is unfolded, Florida State's going to have to screw it up. Oh, I, I see that because, um, I mean, it, they've got – they're in. They've already locked themselves in, the, in a championship game – uh, with games yeah. still to play, and it looks like Louisville's even got a little wiggle room. Them or North Carolina will be the opponent on the other side. Of the one-loss teams, I feel like they've got it right right now, Oregon, Texas, Alabama, um, and I don't see that changing in the foreseeable future because of that Texas-Alabama game. How big of a problem is that for Alabama moving forward, in your opinion, the fact that they've lost way back then 
and and the, the chat room lights up quickly and says Alabama's playing better football now than Texas is. But it's hard to get past that they played each other, though, right? Yeah, it is. And I will, I will say this. Um, I think Alabama and Texas and Oregon are all better than Washington right now. All of them. Yep. Um, but Washington's got a zero in the loss column. So here's the one thing I would say if, if, if you're an Alabama fan, and I mentioned this in our first 10 to 15 minutes about Texas. Yes, Texas has a head-to-head. Texas is going into a realm right now that Alabama has been living in since 2007, all right? And that is the weight of the world on their shoulders, pressure to win everybody every week. The more everybody else around them falters, the harder it gets. And the question becomes, what will they do? They don't have Quinn Ewers right now. May not have him back this week for TCU on the road at night. They may or may not have him back for, for Iowa State. They're hoping to, uh, maybe for a Big 12 championship game, but you are in a better position as, a, uh, uh, as an Alabama fan on counting on Texas to falter if their kids can't handle the weight and the gravity of the scenario that they've played themselves into. What happened on Saturday with them at Kansas State was a wipe your brow, take a deep breath, then you see Oklahoma go down. So now you're sitting there going, and remember, Texas didn't have to play Kansas with Jalen Daniels. And he was supposed to play that game. Remember, he was called out of that game in pregame warm-up. So Texas was able to get past Kansas. I think it's going to be fun to watch this Texas team handle the next three weeks. Uh, Royal Payne, Tommy Reese is upping his coaching stock. What a job with Milrow. You agree? Yes, I just think it's taken some time for them to figure each other out for the coaching staff as a whole, including Nick Saban when he's working with the offensive staff and deciding, all right, this is what we need to be doing. This is how we need to go about doing it. And I think that they've, you know, the one thing about Jalen Milrow, say what you want about him, he's flawed, he's not perfect, but he does have mental toughness. And he does have some intangible traits. And I think when you have that, you've got a chance because he's coachable. He'll listen. He wants to be good. He's willing to put in the work to be good. A lot easier to coach guys like that than, than the opposite. And so I think they've done a, a really, really good job. They have they've been very similar to what I said about Oklahoma State. You know, Oklahoma State had started off the way they started, fumbling around, couldn't run the ball, didn't know what they wanted to do at quarterback. They had a bye week. Mike Gundy comes in and says, all right, guys, this is what we're doing going forward. And whatever that magic potion is, it's very similar to what Alabama's done and Tommy Reese has done offensively. Final two minutes of the show. SS says crazy Auburn and Clemson are both five and four. Zach says uh, the Stallion story and Tyler from Spartanburg are two of the better college football conspiracy stories to happen. Do you believe Tyler from Spartanburg was a plant by Dabo? (laughs) Um... I don't know. I, I no, I don't. I think that's a great conspiracy theory, and it gives me it gives me a chuckle. Have you, by the way, actually heard the entirety of that? Yes. Not Dabo's response, Tyler's. Yeah, the first. Right? I, mean, I mean, they let him talk for three and a half minutes. I I'm friends with people that do both Auburn and Alabama um, the school broadcast. No way you yeah. let that guy talk for three and a half minutes. I would have dumped him about sixty seconds in. I know, and that's that's the thing, and they did, and uh, we now have the result. By the way, speaking of that, 
Tyler's got the greatest level of fame that you can have in today's world. He's a name, he's a city, but he's not a face. <laughs> That's pretty what, good. That is. That's exactly. We trade that sometimes. Yes. Would you like to just be Jim from Hoover? Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> Jim from 280 would be great. Um, <laughs> it would be great. Um, by logic, if Bama wins out, they should be ranked above Georgia. No doubt about that. Uh, the concern for yeah. Bama would be uh, the respect the Pac-12 is getting this year. And, if, um, and then if Florida State stays unbeaten and Michigan uh, or Ohio State stays unbeaten, that would be the roadblock. But it's hard to imagine. Final 30-second thought. That in with what the SEC has done over the years, for the SEC champion to be left out would be mind-boggling for me with what the respect that that league has had um, in the conference. You got about thirty seconds, Luke's. I, I agree, but the committee will say that every year is its own year, and we don't look back. We look forward. We look at what's currently happening. I think that's a bunch of hogwash because you, human nature would tell you that that's not true. Right. Right. And what your eyes are showing you, eventually you can ignore it or deny it all you want. You better start believing your eyes. Yeah. Big win for Alabama uh, over LSU. Luganville will be with us all week on spitting lugs and ball and all the other things he does for us. Um, You'll catch it on replay until 9 o'clock when we go live with the next round. That is Monday Morning Live brought to you by MyBookie.ag. You guys have a blessed week.